listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. I don't know about you, but today I kind of exercised a little self-restraint, and that was this. Uh, I mean, it was in the midst of one of the first round of singing. Uh, I just was rejoicing in those truths, and I kind of I just wanted to walk around and just give people fives for it. Uh, it was a, about a year and a, half, year and a half ago, my son and I had the opportunity to go to the World Series. We were at game five, and if you remember that game, uh, the Braves hit a grand slam in the first inning. And I'm telling you, here, my son and I, we're sitting in the back row of the upper deck. And we were so excited, we thought, we won! I mean, first inning, and we're like giving everybody a five. I mean, going crazy. And we weren't sure what was going to happen, but we thought, you know what? We had something so much more exciting. Christ has died, rose again. He's coming back. It's secure. And we got to rejoice about that today. And I hope that you were tuned in and you thought through those words because, uh, uh, we have so much to be thankful for. And I'm just thankful that I can come on a, a once, at least the first day of the week, and just, I mean, we have enough dealing with in this life to get us discouraged and anxious, to lead us toward despair, but it is nice to be able to just, with God's people, rejoice in these truths to get us back into perspective and uh, I trust you enjoyed that today. Uh, second thing I need to tell you before I jump into the message is thank you for praying for me. Many of you know I was in Mexico earlier this week visiting some of our missionaries. And I wish I could recount to you the whole story. But um, uh, Paul at one point told the Roman church to pray for them. Pray for him as that he would be delivered from various situations that might arise. And... Uh, Later, you would find out in the book of Acts how God provided for him an incredible answer to prayer. He was delivered from men who were after his life. Uh, I didn't have that exciting things happen, but uh, I wouldn't be here, I don't think, if it wasn't for your prayers. I mean, I probably would have gotten here a few days later. Uh, I flew through Dallas-Fort Worth earlier this week, and many of you know uh, all the storms that were there. But God got me home. I'm so thankful. And uh, so thank you for your prayers. I so much appreciate them and ask that you would continue to do that. Lord willing, I'll share a little bit about the trip uh, tonight in our uh, members meeting. Your package has arrived. In our day, we get messages about the arrival of packages, at least I do, by email all the time. If we've ordered something from Amazon, sometimes that item is something we've been waiting for for a long time. All of us love arrivals. Uh, The arrivals of dear out-of-town guests who come into town and you haven't seen them in a while. You love when they show up. Or the arrival of that fiancé at the airport that you've been looking forward to seeing. She's going to be there to visit you or he's going to be there to visit you. Or even greater than that, the arrival of a baby. It's arrived. We all have experienced the joy of arrivals. Arrivals are even further enhanced when great difficulty has preceded them. 
Maybe uh, you have this big bill and the money to pay that bill finally arrives. Or maybe medication arrives that uh, is going to relieve the pain that you've been experiencing for an extended period of time. Maybe the paramedics arrive in a dire situation and offer help. Or a baby arrives after a very long delivery. You know, over the last number of weeks here at Lebanon, we've seen the human condition become more and more dire. We are lost in sin and we can do nothing to save ourselves. We need deliverance. We need help. Well, today, the Apostle Paul in our text brings us back to the tremendous power of the gospel. Paul had introduced this theme in the book of Romans, this theme of God's saving righteousness back in chapter one, which is really the theme verse of this letter. He said this, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in the gospel, in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He gives this beautiful pronouncement in chapter 1 of the saving grace of God. But following that, Paul takes us on an escalator downhill into human depravity. We're sinners. God's wrath is resting upon us. How are we to escape? When the group of us, there was told you about this before. In fact, some of the pastors are always joking. Once you went on this trip, you're going to keep telling about it. Well, when a group of us went hiking in the Grand Canyon, the previous day before we hiked through the Grand Canyon, we looked across the canyon at our destination, which was the South Rim. We were on the North Rim. We saw it way off there. The next morning, as we got up, we descended into the canyon, and we kept going down for a very long time. In fact, we lost sight of our destination. We got caught into the various valleys. In some way, in Romans 1... It was like us, we looked at way off in the distance, the gospel, the righteousness of God that has been revealed, but in many ways from chapter 1 verse 18 until today, we've descended into the Grand Canyon of human depravity. We are sinners and it has been discouraging. Today, we turned the curve And we find hope. And that is God's saving grace. It has arrived. Hope has arrived. And we will see God's righteousness in the gospel. I'd like to read Romans 3. I'll begin reading in verse 21. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. But we are only going to focus on a couple of verses. But listen to what it says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. 
although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show the God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Join me as I pray. Father, today I just want in many ways to just herald the beautiful truth of the gospel. And Lord, I know that this church needs to be reminded of it. We all need the gospel more in our life. It is the gospel that helps lead us to salvation, but also how to live our lives following that great salvation. And so today, would you open our hearts and open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of this book. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, you and I have the opportunity of entering what some have called the heart of Romans. We are getting to really the epicenter of some of the most glorious truths. Martin Luther, in fact, called this section the center of your Bible. So what will we do over the next number of weeks? We will slow down a little bit. We will creep through these particular verses. Why? Because they are so monumental. Okay. In our text today, which is going to be just verse 21 and most of verse 22, we are going to see four simple truths. I'm just giving them to you right out. We're going to see how God's rescue has arrived how God's rescue had been misunderstood, how God's rescue was foretold, and then how God's rescue is available. But let's begin today with God's rescue is or has arrived. Today I get to look at two of the most glorious words. Our text opens with the words, but now. They're emphatic, in fact, in the Greek. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, there are no more wonderful words in the whole of Scripture than just these two words, but now. 
It shouts to us that some great change has now occurred. The status quo has been altered. It is the most ultimate big notification you could ever get. You get notifications all the time if you are tech savvy. And those sometimes are important, sometimes very, they can be ignored. This one can't. This is the greatest notification. But now God has done something. What has happened? The text says that the righteousness of God has been manifested. That word manifested carries the idea it has been disclosed or revealed or it has exploded in front of us. In fact, the tense here is in the perfect tense, which means this. It means it is something that has occurred in the past, but that has present ramifications. It's been done, but it means something for you and me. Now, what has appeared? God's righteousness has appeared. Now, the question is, what is this righteousness that has appeared? I think John Stott very clearly lays out what God's righteousness is. I thought I'd just show you this quote. He says this, the righteousness of God is this. The righteousness of God revealed in the gospel is the righteous status which God requires if we are ever to stand before him, which he achieves through the atoning sacrifice of the cross, which he reveals in the gospel and which he bestows freely on all who trust in Christ. Catch those four words that I underlined there. It is what God requires. If you're ever going to stand before him, is something that he achieves through the atoning sacrifice on the cross, what is what he reveals in the gospel and what he bestows on us freely who trust in Jesus Christ. So this righteousness that has exploded in front of us speaks of God's saving activity accomplished in the work of Jesus Christ. This is God's rescue plan. God's rescue plan is now before us. It's in play. The paramedic has arrived. It had been just a couple of decades before this letter or epistle was written that God's work in Jesus Christ was accomplished that changed absolutely everything. It was announced by angels on the hillside near Bethlehem It had been heralded by John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist, who was just a few months older than Jesus? Of course, Jesus was from eternity. And what did John the Baptist say? There's one who is among us now. That I am not even worthy to unloosen his sandal. And he is here. And the Spirit is without measure with him. God's rescue plan had arrived. It was unveiled in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why John says, and the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. God's rescue plan was realized and finalized in the person of Jesus. He unveiled for us who God is. 
Everybody wanted to see God. But the Bible says no one has ever seen God. But then John says, but the only God who is at the Father's side, the other one within the Trinity, he has fully disclosed him. And when Jesus was on this planet, you could see God in the flesh. And he was the one who said this, I am from above. I came down from heaven. He said, I am the water. I was recounting to my Bible study this week. We were studying the bread of life discourse. And all of these people are searching for, uh, they saw Jesus uh, multiply the loaves and the fishes. And they said, man, we want you to just keep doing this. We like this food stuff. Because our society is, is, you could say, poor, and we would love for you to continue to do this. And of course, Jesus looked way beyond that, and he tells them this, it's not that food, I'm the bread. I'm the bread. He says, I am the light of the earth. He said, I am the way. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And you remember at the end of his life when he's getting arrested, And he says this, I am, which was this, a reference to, I'm Yahweh. I'm Yahweh. And what did this I am do? He ultimately died and rose again. And Peter preached this wonderful message how Jesus Christ was what everything was pointing toward. Now everything points back to He proclaimed that at Pentecost. And of course, the Apostle Paul, the one who's writing this letter, was accosted by God in many ways on the road to Damascus. He realized who Jesus was and his whole life was changed. He abandoned his own righteousness for Jesus Christ's righteousness and he began to proclaim it. And that's why you and I have Romans today. And it is through Jesus that we learn of God's righteous activity, how how each of us can become the righteousness of God. You can become the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. So you know what? The word is out. The word is out. That's what he's saying. But now, Jesus, his his name is here. The grand opening has come. You know, it was a few, few days ago, I heard of the grand opening of a new restaurant in Woodstock. Whataburger. Okay, how many of you were really excited about Whataburger coming? Okay, there's some of you who were, okay? I heard that the lines were like all the way down 92. In fact, when I was flying through Dallas-Fort Worth this past week, I had just eaten dinner, and then I walked by a Whataburger because I've never had a Whataburger. Some of you are saying, what? You've never done this? Okay, I've heard I need to try the Dr. Pepper milkshake, okay? But you know what? A few days ago, it opened. It's here. It's available. But honestly, I still haven't tasted a Whataburger. Why? Because I've been preoccupied. I haven't been over there at that particular time, nor would I probably want to stand in the line or wait in the line. It's somewhat low on my priority list. But let me tell you that something else has been established and is open. And it's the righteousness of God. And Paul knew that the door was open. It had been so clearly announced. 
and that eternal life was available. And I'll tell you this, this is not like a little restaurant that's open. This is life or death for you. If you don't go to the grand opening of Jesus Christ and taste and see that he is good, your whole life depends on it. You have got to taste and see that the Lord is good and that Lord is Jesus Christ. And that's why he says, but now God's righteousness has been identified. It's here. And there's only one way out. So God's rescue has arrived. But then I want you to see this. God's rescue was misunderstood. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, the text goes on and says this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. And then it says this little phrase, apart from the what? Apart from the law. Now, I believe what's being referred to here is the Mosaic law and the works of just doing these things to kind of achieve righteousness. Over the last number of verses up to this point, Paul has exposed how there were many people who thought that obedience to God's commands or the Mosaic law was their pathway into salvation. The way of righteousness was through, for them, physical birth and through action, my performance. Is my performance going to get me there? And he shows them that they were greatly mistaken. Did you know that the law was simply a spiritual MRI showing you that death was coming? And that you need a savior. That's what the law does. It basically diagnoses your problem. And that you need help. They needed something outside the law. If you're sick and they diagnose you with something. Let's say they run you through an MRI machine. That MRI machine is not going to save you. It's just going to show you and pinpoint this is your problem. And in the same way. Salvation is apart from you trying to achieve your way there. If you think that any of your righteousness will do it, you are sadly mistaken. It's as if, you know what, you, all you have when it comes to your own righteousness is monopoly money. Okay, imagine today I, I'd, I catch you after the service and say, hey, I want to treat you to lunch today. In fact, I'm going to pick out a really nice restaurant. And we're going to go to lunch, and I take you to this really nice place. I say, order whatever you want. You order the biggest item on the menu. And then at the end, when they bring the bill, I pull out my wallet, and I start pulling out like some of those, I don't even know what color they are, the $500 Monopoly money. And it says, hey, I got this. And I just slide it across the table right there by the, the receipt. What's going to happen? That waiter is going to look at me and say, you're a moron. (laughs) And I'll tell you this, some of you one day, if you show up at heaven with your own righteousness, it's not going to do one thing to get you there. For by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. No one else. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. They can't save. In fact, 
Do you remember what he says in Hebrews? It is not the blood of bulls and of what? Goats that are going to get you there. The only blood that can save you is one that was spilt, that was signified by what we drank just a few moments ago, the precious blood of Christ. That is the only thing that will provide for you propitiation and expiation and justification. It is him. And that's why he says, now the righteousness of God has been exploded in front of you. It's apart from the law, although the law is going to be important, we see. So it was misunderstood, but also I want you to see this. God's rescue was foretold. Because what does he go on and say? He says in verse 21, he says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And what he's saying here is this. He's referring to the entirety of your Old Testament. Many of you know you have a Bible, and your Bible has 39 books in the Old Testament, and you have 27 books in the New Testament. And what he's referring to here when he says the law and the prophets is he's he's referring to the library of those 39 Old Testament books. And he shows you that from Genesis to Malachi, those books were simply testifying to God's saving work that was to come in the person of Jesus Christ. All of them set the arrival for Jesus to come. I think you've heard me say this. I often refer to the Old Testament as the need and the New Testament as the supply. So what is the need in the Old Testament? Well, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, show the cry. This is something G. Campbell Morgan uh, uh, published many years ago. They show the, the cry for the perfect priest who would offer the perfect sacrifice. And you read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and there's just this cry. One day I need a priest who's going to offer a final sacrifice. And, and I want the blood to cleanse me from all sin. And that's what those books shout to us. And then you get to the historical books. And what do they shout to you? The cry for the perfect king. Who would bring in the perfect kingdom. And that would rule forever with righteousness. And what does the Bible say about Jesus? Jesus. It says this in Isaiah chapter 9, or I believe it is, where it says, and you shall call his, I mean, excuse me, I'm trying to remember what it says. Shall bear, uh, where is that verse? It's on the tip of my tongue, but it says his, his name shall be called wonderful. Thank you, Mark. Mark is good for something, okay? Uh, <laughs> the Prince of Peace on his shoulders, the government shall what? Stand. He's the one. That's what the Old Testament prophesied. And then you get to what? You get to the prophets. And in the prophets, what do they cry out? The cry for the perfect prophet who would one day preach the perfect word. And I love how John starts in God's word was made what? Flesh. Those prophets, you know what they did? Every once in a while, they shared God's word. But if you interviewed Isaiah and Jeremiah, there were times that the wrong words came out of their mouth. 
They misdid things. They, they used their mouth in the wrong way. But Jesus, every word that came out of his mouth was God because he was God. And all those books shout the need for the perfect priest and the perfect king and the perfect prophet. And then he arrives. And that's why Jesus could say, you remember after he died and he rose again, and he's slowly appearing to various ones of his disciples at various times. And there was one day he's walking. He comes and joins two guys who were on the road to Emmaus. And as he's walking with these guys on the road to Emmaus, they don't recognize him at first in his glorified body. But it says this, he began to talk with them. And it's interesting, the text says, in beginning with Moses. Now, what is he referring to there? He's referring to the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He says, beginning with those books, he shared with them all the things concerning himself. They're all about me. And you remember what they said? They says, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the way? And then they realized who it was when they got there. Jesus' life was foretold. And I'll tell you, your Bible is all connected. Read it. All, everything points to him. If you're a skeptic here, you're like, I don't know about this Jesus Christ person. Let me just challenge you today to simply just start reading the Bible. And if you'll just simply pray this prayer, God, if Jesus is the true God of the universe, that you you would open my eyes to this. If you would pray that genuinely and you would search, I believe, you know what? God could do amazing things. Go read the scriptures because God's rescue was foretold. And then finally our text does this. Paul then shows them how to access this righteousness. And that's in verse 22. Listen to the text. The righteousness of God, here's how you get it, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction. Here's the second time in verses 21 through 31 that God's righteousness is referred to. It'll be referred to five times. And it basically answers this question, how do you and I who are unrighteous become righteous in God's sight. How do you and I have this acquittal? How do we get bestowed Jesus's righteousness to our account? And the text says this, it is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now here, I'll just stop for just a moment. Some have suggested that first faith, that's referring to Jesus's faithfulness. And what I mean by that is this. Let me read it to you. The righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Okay? And of course, we all know, first of all, that the righteousness of God, okay, Jesus was faithful. I mean, perfectly faithful. Everything he did was faithful. And yes, his faithfulness to God was one of the reasons that he could be a sinless substitute for mankind. But I will, I don't take that interpretation. 
I believe the context seems to be referring, because if you read all of the rest of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, you will see, I believe he's referencing your, mine, and your personal faith in Jesus Christ to access God's righteousness. You have to place your faith in him. It is faith not in yourselves, but in the finished work of Jesus. And what does this look like? This looks like turning your entire life over to him. You're the ones, God, you're the one who has eternal life. I don't have anything. And I'm just looking to you. I'm just depending on you. I don't want my sin. My sin's going to send me to hell. I want you. And I'm turning to you from my sin. It's repenting of your sin and placing your faith in him. That's how you become a believer. You become a follower of Jesus. Jesus is your new life. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Paul then shows in our text that that faith is available to everybody. Whether you're a Jew or whether you are a Gentile, there is no distinction. Anybody. So if you're here today and you are part of the human race, if you will turn to Jesus and you will abandon your own righteousness because it will do nothing for you and you will place your faith in the work, the righteousness of God that can be credited to your account by faith, you can be saved. I'll tell you what I think, and I'm afraid that too many people have gotten so mixed up when it comes to this. And you're so close. The sad thing is so many people just want to use Jesus just like those who were there when he's standing right in front of them. I mean, John 6, when he's giving the bread of life discourse, all those people, they see him do these amazing things. And you may be here today and you may think, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus has done some amazing things. He can supply a lot of things for people. Look what he did with that. But all they were wanting to do for them, they were kind of amazed at it, but they just wanted to use Jesus. And Jesus says, or I want to do these works. Because that's what they basically says. How can, how can we do these things? And Jesus says, the only work you can do is believe in me. That's what you have to do. You have to place your faith and become his follower. And I'll tell you this, when you do that, he radically changes your life. So Lebanon Baptist Church, God's rescue is here and it's available. You need it because of your sinful condition. We've looked at it all those weeks. This rescue, God's righteousness, is only in one place and it's his son. He that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son hath not life. It was this particular truth that radically changed a man by the name of Martin Luther. When Martin Luther read those truths, even though he was a part of the medieval church, 
when he began to understand that salvation was by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone, it started what we would call the Reformation. Have you found the grace of God in Jesus Christ? Let me say you need to find it soon. Just because it's now available doesn't mean it's there for good. You need to accept him. You have until you die. And what does he tell you in James? What? Your life is but a what? A vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And that's why Paul says in another place, today is the day of salvation. Accept him. That's the gospel. And it is that gospel that we need to be reminded of and heralded. Lebanon Baptist Church, we got to tell Roswell about this. We got to tell Atlanta. We got to tell our world. So let's, let's glory in it. Let's sing about it. And then let's go into our world and tell people about it. Because you know what? The grand opening has arrived. Hope has arrived. And so let's share this wonderful news. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.